The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. We'll be looking at verses 14 through the end of the chapter here today. I've entitled the message today, The Believer's Confidence. The Believer's Confidence. You know, it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 35, Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. I wonder why the writer of Hebrews would tell us, don't cast away your confidence. Well, probably because sometimes our confidence can be shaken. Sometimes our confidence does diminish and we are tempted to just kind of cast it away. Is this really going to work out? Is God really working all things together for good? Is, is Jesus really the Savior of the world? Is He really coming back again when I see what's going on in the world, maybe even in my own life? Lord, what am I to think? Am I to still have hope and faith and confidence that You're with me and that You're for me and that You're working all things according to Your good plan for my life and for all lives that will turn and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And the message from the apostles, the message from the apostle John, 80, 90 years living on the earth, walking with the Lord. His message is, believers, hold on to your confidence. There are things that you can know for sure. And these become anchors for your soul. These become something of stable rock beneath your feet, when everything else is shaking and moving around you, you're anchored in truth. And that becomes very precious to the life of the believer. Let's take a look at a couple of things. I'll break it up today into two main sections. I think John wants to remind us that we have a confidence in prayer and that we have a confidence in Jesus Christ himself. Look with me now. Picking it up in verse 14, let's talk about confidence in prayer. Now, this is the confidence that we have, excuse me, in him, him being Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. John reminding the believers Now, how many prayers do you think John the Apostle had prayed by this time in his life? How many times he'd encouraged others to pray? And he still says the same thing, the same things that he heard from Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we have confidence that when we pray, there is a God in heaven who loves us and hears us. And here's here's an insight. As we pray those things that are in line with his will, not only does he hear us, but we have a confidence that he will give us those things that we are asking for as they align with his will. And this gives us a little insight into prayer. And maybe for some, this will be revolutionary. But prayer, the purpose of prayer is not to try and get your will accomplished. It's not to try and get heaven to accomplish your desires, but rather prayer, the purpose of prayer, is for us to invite heaven's desires, God's will to be fulfilled in the earth and through our lives. 
Now, I say that may be revolutionary because I think sometimes we get caught up. We think pray, praying is all about pleading and trying to persuade and sell God on our, our needs and what we think is a good idea. But that's not really the purpose of prayer. Now, Bible does encourage us to pray about everything. So every need, every anxiety, every worry, you need to take these things to the Lord in prayer. But the purpose of prayer is to invite God's will to be done. Now think about it just for a minute. Do you really want something other than God's will being accomplished in your life and through your life? Well, we imagine that we do. We imagine that his will should be our will. But truthfully, if we really love the Lord, if we trust the Lord, we know that God, as Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. Remember Jesus teaching his disciples to pray? He said, this is how you pray, giving them something of a model for prayer. You didn't have to mimic these words, but this would be the model for prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Worship, glorifying God. What? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, the, this is the umbrella on which all prayer functions. Under the umbrella of knowing, God, we want your will to be done, not ours. Sometimes we get frustrated in prayer. and We wonder why God's not answering our prayer. Well, James tells us this in James 4, 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. Sometimes our prayers can, can rabbit trail into selfishness. And we wonder why God's not answering that prayer. Well, it's not in line with his will for you. It's not what he's wanting to work in your life. And I'll say this, there have been some prayers that I thought were good for me and for God, only to find out later that I'm so grateful he did not answer that prayer or that his answer was no. Wow, Lord, I dodged a bullet there. I'm so glad you didn't get me into that prayer and didn't answer it the way I'd hoped at the time. Now I see better. Now I have a perspective. The question would, you might ask then is, look, if God's only interested in doing his will on the earth, then why do we even need to ask? I mean, he is God. Can't he just go about doing what he wants? Why is he encouraging us to pray for his will to be done? It's a good question, but I think that if we, if we understand how God loves us, and how God wants to have a relationship with us. How God wants to have kind of something, if you will, a partnership with us in his work, in his kingdom. Then you begin to understand why he invites you to participate in prayer. God wants us to be cooperating with his will. God wants us to discover his will in prayer. God wants us to be changed from within. He's trying to shape our hearts more and more in line with his will. And prayer is the vehicle, the discipline where much of this takes place. That's why we're encouraged to pray because it's a place where God resets us, kind of realigns us. You know, your car gets out of alignment and, and you have to get realigned. Prayer is one of those places that God is able to shape your heart to put his desire within you. Philippians 2.13 tells us that it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God's spirit in prayer is actually inspiring you, leading you to pray. He'll put the will, the desire for his will within your heart, and then you begin to activate it in prayer. 
And this is the purpose for prayer. John is simply reminding us that as we participate with the Lord in the work of the kingdom, that you can have a confidence that he is hearing and he will answer those prayers. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will be added. What other things? All the other things that we're normally praying about. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? How am I going to be provided for? Where am I, how are my finances doing? All those other things. Jesus said, you know, if you'll just align your heart with the kingdom, you'll find that all these other things will be right behind you to support, provide, and bless you. Well, how do I know exactly what to ask? How can we align our hearts with prayer? I think Jesus gives us a little insight when he speaks to us out of John 15 and verse 7. Jesus said this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Jesus is talking to his disciples. John 15, that's that famous passage where Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. You must stay connected to me to be fruitful in your life. And he said, listen, as as you are abiding in me, as you stay close to me in relationship, and my words abide in you, you know my heart, you know my mind, you're a student of my word, you are a true disciple. Disciple means learner, a student of Christ. To that person who has his heart and mind aligned, Ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. How do we know what to pray? We know that through our relationship with Christ, through that abiding relationship, through the knowledge of his word. This is where you discover the mind of God as you read the scripture. This is where where God has chosen to reveal himself, his mind, his character, his nature. And this begins to shape your thinking. Your mind gets renewed and you begin to align yourself with him and your prayers begin to reflect those very things. And that's where you get traction in prayer. That's where you will see God working and moving in mighty ways. He talks also about intercessory prayer. Look on in the text back to 1 John verse, chapter 5 and verse 16. He goes on, again, we're just talking about confidence in prayer. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Let's take this in steps here. First of all, he lets us know that if you see a brother sinning, you should pray for him. That there is something of a accountability that we have to one another. You remember when God came to Cain after he'd murdered his brother, he said, hey, where's Abel, your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Taking attitude with the Lord. Well, according to the word of God, yes, as a matter of fact, You are your brother's keeper. You are called to care about the Christian brothers and sisters around you. You're not a lone ranger Christian on your own, for your own. You're connected. You're connected to God's family. And in the same way that we would love and care for our natural brothers and sisters, their well-being, so even more so, we should be caring about our 
spiritual brothers and sisters. And John says, listen, if you see a brother sinning, a sin that does, which does not lead to death, you can ask the Lord and he will give life. God will help. The truth is we do on occasion see brothers sinning, don't we? We do see brothers and sisters getting entangled in sin. They're Christians, they're believers, but we see them maybe getting sidetracked. We see them maybe in a back, what we call a backslidden state, having kind of fallen back from where they once were spiritually. Maybe it's the distraction of cares and anxiety that cause people to slip away from their walk with the Lord. Maybe they become discouraged or they can become disappointed. And you see these things, maybe they're just being negligent in their own spiritual life. You know, sometimes all you have to do is nothing to slip back, right? You don't have to purposefully do anything to get away. You just stop doing the things that you need to do to abide and you find yourself slipping back. And so John says, listen, you see someone getting into sin. You see some, somebody slipping back, maybe some type of an addiction, or maybe they're caught up in something. Maybe they've been deceived. You know, sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking that this is a good idea. Oftentimes we see this in relationships. People get entangled in relationships that they really do, should not be entangled in. Oh, but he's so spiritual. Yeah, but he's married. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, oh, oh, she just, she totally understands me. Yeah, but you're married to somebody else, right? These relationships, and, and yet, oh, and, and you see people getting entangled in things. That's just an example. But you know, there are many ways and cunning ways that the enemy will kind of get us off track and mis, you know, uh, get us into, into entanglement. Sometimes just our priorities are misplaced, and it ends up getting us into a place of compromise. And John says, pray. When you see someone struggling, when you see someone stumbling, when you see someone kind of not walking in the way you've seen them walk before, pray for them. Pray that God would speak to them. How do I pray for a brother that's backsliding? Maybe you pray that God would speak to him. Lord, I pray, I pray that this sister on the way to work would somehow turn on a, a Bible teaching radio station and that she would hear a sermon. He would hear a sermon that would speak directly to their heart. Like Nathan the prophet walking into David and saying, you're the man. Something of the Holy Spirit would break through this person's heart. Lord, that you would open their eyes, that they would see the truth, that they would see the, the deception. Sometimes you have to even pray, Lord, bring circumstance into their life that would cause them to return their heart to you. Now, careful, it's not for us to start calling discipline out for the Lord, but sometimes you just have to pray, Lord, in your loving and all-wise and knowing care, don't let this brother slip away. Don't let this sister go down too far. Speak to her. Arrest him in his backslidden state and bring him back to a place of understanding. Boy, we can remember Jonah, the prophet. He tried to run, but God had prepared a big fish for him. Maybe God needs to prepare something for a brother or sister. Again, those are the Lord's decisions, but you can pray. You can intercede. Maybe the Lord will give you an opportunity to share with them. And that takes prayer. Lord, give me the words to say. 
Lord, I don't want to go in and just start acting like I'm, you know, I'm going to straighten this brother, this sister out because I'm so spiritual. That's not the way we go and help one another along. Lord, give me grace. Give me mercy. Give me understanding and wisdom that I might be able to share with them. Give me an opportunity where their heart would be open to that. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 tells us, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, how? In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So we're called to care for one another spiritually. And John says, listen, you have a confidence in prayer. God is listening to those prayers. God loves that brother, that sister, even more than you. And now you are aligning your heart, you're interceding, and those prayers will become effective. God will work in their life, and that answer to prayer becomes God working in your life. Oh, how many grandmothers, how many mothers and fathers have prayed over their children, and God has answered those prayers. Not always immediately. Sometimes it takes months, years. But in time, God is faithful to hear and answer those prayers. We want to talk about something else that John mentions here. He says, you know, when you see a brother entangled in sin, not leading to death, pray. But there is such a thing as sin leading to death. And for that, I'm not telling you that you should pray. The question is, what is this sin leading to death? Apparently, John's readers who received this letter must have known evidently, what he was talking about, because he doesn't elaborate at all. He just mentions it as if they know what I'm saying. But for us, now nearly 2,000 years later, and for much of the church in recent history, we're not sure exactly what John is referencing here, this sin leading to death. We're unsure. There are some views. There are some differences of opinion between Bible teachers and commentators. I'll give you a couple and then, you know, just give you my sense of it, which is in line with one of these views. And in either case, the views that I'll be sharing, all of these are biblical doctrines that are supported in the rest of Scripture. So nothing strange here, but we have to kind of try to fit this Scripture into what we know to be true in other places. Maybe John's talking, this sin leading to death, maybe he's talking about a specific sin that a believer would commit that would actually affect their health or produce some type of fatal uh, situation in their life. We can remember Ananias and Sapphira, early Christians in the book of Acts, remember? Remember? They played the hypocrite in in the church. They tried to lie and misrepresent the Holy Spirit in front of all the church. And what happened? The Lord struck them dead. Peter said, God's going to discipline this. Now, they were believers. We believe they went to be with the Lord, but their lives on their, their, their sin was so dangerous and so disruptive in the early church, God disciplined them severely. And maybe John's talking about that. Listen, some that have committed this kind of sin, this kind of trespass, God's going to deal with them, and your prayers are not necessarily going to stop God from dealing in it with a heavy hand in this situation, a heavy hand of discipline. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul 
writing to the church about communion and their mishandling of the Lord's table, taking it inappropriately, not respecting the significance of what the body of Christ and the cup uh, represented. He said this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. Sleep meaning many. Some of you have passed away because you've not been diligent spiritually. Now we have to just recognize that, listen, some sins lead to unhealthy practices, even in a believer's life. That may not be your practice, but maybe it was your practice, or maybe in some backslidden moment it becomes your practice. And so these things happen, and it may be that John is talking about the very literal physical death that may come as a discipline to a believer who finds himself straying so far that God says, you know what, the best for you is to bring you home. It may be that. It may be that John is talking about an unbeliever's sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. The sin of unbelief and willful rejection of Christ. Talking about someone who just, who hears the gospel They understand the gospel. They don't want it. They reject it. They continually reject it. They willfully reject it. That is a sin that will lead to death, spiritual death. Because apart from Christ, there is no salvation. Now, that might be a better fit. I like this rendering because it kind of fits in with the context of John's letter. You may remember earlier in the book, in the letter, chapter 2, verse 22, John says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. John is letting us know, listen, there are some in the world that are absolutely against Christ. They've hardened their heart. They deny that he's the son. They deny the father. They deny the existence of the gospel. And for that person, there is no hope for spiritual regeneration or eternal life. Salvation is only available in Christ. Peter said this in Acts 4 verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's an an important decision what we, we decide concerning Jesus Christ. And those that reject and harden their heart against Christ, ultimately they leave themselves in a place where there is no remedy for them. Now could they change their heart? Could they soften their heart and receive Christ? Yes. But until they do, there is no hope of eternal life coming to them. So can we pray that someday they would come to Christ? I think that we can. But can we pray with confidence that they will be saved even against their own will and their unbelief? I think the answer is no. Lord, uh, you know, my, my cousin, he's an, he's an unbeliever, but I'm just asking you to save him anyway. Just save him. Well, that's not a prayer that God can answer. Now, can I pray that, Lord, somehow my cousin would come to his senses? Somehow, Lord, you would awaken him? Somehow he would come to faith? Yes, but I cannot pray that God would save him apart from Christ. There is no remedy for anyone apart from Christ. Consider this verse with me. I'll try to have these up on the overhead for you. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Yeah. 
The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So these souls, these individuals who do not know Christ, their lives are in peril. And, and, and Paul says to Timothy, listen, Try to correct them in humility. Try to share the truth with them in hopes, perhaps God will grant them repentance, that they will come out from the cloud of the deception that Satan has them bound in. And so, yes, there is an effort to share the gospel. Yes, there is a prayer for the unsaved, but it's a different kind of confidence in that prayer than what John was saying earlier. Listen, when you pray in line with what God is wanting to do, specifically, that's a prayer you have great confidence in. When it comes to another man's will, although God desires him to be saved, you cannot pray with the same confidence that he will eventually be saved because ultimately God will not force the man or the woman to choose him. So you can pray for opportunity. You can pray perhaps God would grant it, but it's a different place of prayer, a different type of intercession, and it, and it, it changes the level of confidence, you understand. That's my sense of the, and the best way to kind of work through that passage. But you never know. You never know who's going to be able to receive the gospel. And so you don't ever want to give up. I don't think John's saying, hey, just give up on him. He's just saying you can't pray a certain confidence, but you have to pray maybe in a different way. And you have to share and be an example and be a light. But let me tell you, some of the, those that have opposed Christ the most fiercely, the Apostle Paul comes to mind, have become the ones that follow him most closely. You never know what the grace of God can do when the heart opens to the truth. So we continue to preach it, live it, and pray it. Let's move on here, finish up the, the chapter, the, the book. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's talk about, we've talked about confidence in prayer. Let's talk about confidence in Jesus. Look with me, verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life, little children, Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. He closes with this statement of confidence, kind of concluding all that he said in this letter, that you can be confident that you have come, you who have come to know Jesus, you have come to know the truth. And no matter what else is going on in the world, God has given you this confidence in his Son. He says that there is a confidence in Jesus, I believe, to overcome sin. Whoever is born of God does not sin. 
Now, we've looked at this before. John has said this before in the letter. And we know that when he says that that whoever is born of God does not sin, he doesn't mean that you never, ever sin. He means that you do not practice and you are not in a habit of perpetual sin. God has broken that spell, that power in your life. You were once a slave to those things, but now God has broken that, that power. Not only have you received forgiveness from all sin. Now that in itself is a great, great miracle. Whatever guilt you've carried, whatever shame, whatever you've carried in, maybe some of you even here today, you're carrying a baggage of guilt and shame. No one knows, you know, you feel it, you don't even like to think about it, but listen, in Christ, all of that has been forgiven, all of that has been cleansed, and you are free, and all of that burden is gone. But not only the power of sin's guilt and the, and the shame of what you've done, this power of control, the habits, the, 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 the inability to break out of those sinful things and practices. God has given you victory in that. Now you may say, well, I'm still struggling in some of this. I'm going to tell you that God has broken its power. Maybe you can say this. I'm still struggling, but I can see that I'm not where I used to be. God indeed has broken its power. Now I need him to continue and complete this work, or I need to allow that completed work to to finish its way in me. But I can see that God has changed things in my life. And I want to encourage you. Sin should not be master over you, it says in Romans 6. Don't accommodate sin. Don't give up fighting sin. Continue to confess and receive forgiveness and get back up spiritually and endeavor to walk in those things that God has called you to. Strengthen the spirit in your life. Because the Bible says if you'll be led by the spirit, you won't give place to the deeds of the flesh. You know there's a battle, right? And so we have to strengthen that spiritual man through our relationship with the Lord, through prayer, through his word, through fellowship with other believers, accountability. God has broken sin's power. And don't fall for the lie that somehow I just have to live with this all my life. I'll never be free. It'll never change. I'm just, this is the way I am. No, that's the way you were. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have been made new. Maybe you're not walking in the fullness of it yet, but don't you quit. Don't you stop. You keep moving from glory to glory and allow the Lord to set you free. Sin is not your master. Satan is not your master. We see it there in the text that God keeps himself, but whoever's been born of God keeps himself, keeping yourself in Christ and the wicked one does not touch him. God has hold of you. Satan cannot. He can tempt you. He can trouble you. He can intimidate you. He can whisper in your ear, but he cannot take hold of you. He cannot possess you. He cannot take charge of you. He cannot force you to do anything. And so Jesus has set you free. And you have a confidence in that. Let me just say this. You know this, but let me just say it out loud. Jesus is stronger than the devil. Jesus is stronger than the devil. Amen? 
And sometimes we forget that, oh, the enemy, oh, the enemy, the enemy. You have Jesus living inside of you. The enemy flees and trembles at his name. He is the victor. He has conquered sin, death, the grave, Satan, and all his demons. And so you have this overcoming strength in your life. And God has given you this confidence. God has laid hold of you. You belong to him. Jesus has laid his hands on you. And no one, not the devil, no one can pry you out of his grasp. Listen to what Philippians says. Uh, Paul writing to the Philippians. You know this verse. But, but just, I like the way he, he puts it in, into a thought for us. Philippians 3.12, the Apostle Paul. Not that I have already attained or, or, or am already perfected. Even the Apostle Paul, I, I'm still in process. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He's got a hold of me. And he laid hold of me for a purpose. And that wasn't to live in the bondage of sin. Not to be just this defeated, depressed, discouraged, confused Christian. He laid hold of me because he's got something that he's calling me to. And that's what I'm now trying to lay hold of. Now that he's got me, I'm trying to get hold of what he has for me. And that's what I'm pressing towards. I haven't arrived, Paul said, and neither have us. But boy, we're pressing and we can't quit. We can't retreat. Let's press on together because there is a confidence that we have in Jesus. We have victory in him. Secondly, I notice in this text that he not only have we overcome sin and its grasp and bondage on us, but we have overcome the world. We have overcome the world. Look what he says there in the text. He says concerning the world that the whole world lies under the sway, the influence, the control, the manipulation of the wicked one. Boy, can you see that? I mean, we're going to close here, but do do you see things going on in the world today? Who's, who's pulling the strings on all of this? I'm telling you, the world is under the sway of the wicked one. What's going on in our country? What's going on? We're going to be voting in a few weeks for the next leader of our nation who becomes the leader of the free world. What, what is happening? I'll tell you, you, you look at the world, you look at the things, the turmoil, the confusion... And, and you can see, man, there is an evil force of darkness manipulating, persuading, and influencing. And all the world seems to be under this spell of confusion, of violence, of evil. And we, if we're not careful, you know what? We could become overwhelmed with that. Like, man, just we're just... How are we going to survive in this crazy world? Listen, John lived in a crazy world too. John lived in a world that was influenced by Roman, the Roman emperors who, who were all worshipers of pagan gods and just crazy things that, that, that they believed. And, and just their, their power and totalitarian influence and, the, and the, just you know, the evil 
that was going on and the persecution that was taking place. John's the last one alive because all the others had been killed off, murdered by, their, by the Roman government. John's a citizen. John's living in that world too. And what does he say? Guys, the world is under the sway of the, the wicked one, but you have Jesus. You have Jesus and you have confidence that you don't have to be afraid. Verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us an understanding. We know what's going on in the world, church. We know that perilous times will come. We know that men apart from God and Christ are reprobate and lost. We know we don't, we're not surprised by sinners doing what they do. We were once like them. And so our confidence in Christ becomes secure, even more so as we see the world playing out in the way that it does when it doesn't have God. Now we pray. We pray. The Bible says pray for our leaders. We vote. Christian, you better vote. You better study the issues. You better. We'll have some guides available in the, in the next week or two to help you discern. But listen, you need to pray and let the Holy Spirit lead you. You're a citizen. Take up your role and function and be salt, be light, be the last stand, stand for truth or some, some anchor for our culture. But in the end, it's not America that God has come to save. Jesus came to save the whole world. Jesus came to save men and women out of the world. As many as would believe. It's not, it's not democracy. It's the gospel. The gospel is the answer for men's troubles. Thank God for democracy. Thank God for this nation. Thank God for his influence. Thank God for the prayers and the, and the found, good biblical foundations that were once laid. But listen, things are changing. But one thing doesn't change, your confidence in who you belong to and who has hold of you and who ultimately is bringing you to his destiny. We know the truth. The truth is Jesus. We have eternal life. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this letter to us preserved, written by the Apostle John, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are truths here for us, Lord, that become very relevant to us in our lives. A reminder, Lord, just a reset, if you will, in our mind and in our thinking that we have a place of confidence and security in Jesus Christ. Confident in prayer. We have a God who hears us. We have a God that we can bring everything to in prayer. We don't have to be anxious, but in everything, with thanksgiving, we can make our requests known to God. A God who hears, a God who answers, a God who's made promise. And Lord, we also have a confidence just in the truth concerning Jesus, that our sins are forgiven, that I have an eternal destiny and hope in Him, and a life and a strength flowing in my heart spiritually even today to live in this crazy world 
anchored in the truth and love of Jesus. As we close here today, and you just keep your heads bowed with me for another moment, I do want to give an opportunity, if you're here today, and you would like to respond to the Lord, maybe the Lord has spoken to you directly this morning. Maybe you're here today, and, and your life is, is anything but confident. Your life is overwhelmed with fear, anxiety. Maybe you're here today, your, your life is entangled with sin and trouble and just the drama that comes with trying to live your life apart from God. And maybe the Lord is speaking to you and saying, come, come receive mercy, come to the cross, come to the gospel of my love for you. And be confident, be anchored, be centered in me. I have mercy for you. I have hope for you. I have help for you. And maybe you're just here today and you want to receive Jesus and acknowledge your need for him. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you need to come back to Jesus. John tells us to pray for those that brother, sister, that have lapsed back into sin. Sin not leading to death. You're here. You're alive. Your sin has not brought you to a place where you've lost your salvation. Because you know Jesus. Your heart's not hard. You're just entangled. And you're the very person that John would encourage us to pray for today. And maybe you just need to say, Pastor, please pray for me. I need to get right with God. I need to get right in my own heart. I need to get right in my home. I need to come back to you and be anchored and confident once again in your love and your grace. I need you to lay hold of me, Jesus. I need to start laying hold of the things you have for me. If that's your heart today, I want to pray for you as well. So if you're here today, you want to receive Jesus or you want to rededicate, recommit your life to Jesus. I would ask you just to raise your hand and we're going to pray. Bless you. There as well in the center on the aisle. God bless you. A couple in the back. Over here on the aisle. God bless you. He loves you. Anyone else today, you just, you need, just to be honest, this is your moment just to say, Jesus, God bless you. Any others? Between you and the Lord, we're just going to pray. That's what God encouraged us to do. And, and John said, if you'll pray for that brother, that sister, God will give them life. If you're here today, let us pray for you. Anybody else, raise your hand just before we pray. Let me see you. God bless you there. Another one there. Anyone else? Amen. You know, there have been times in my life where I felt like I needed to raise both hands. Anybody need to raise both hands? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Father, I do pray for these hearts today. There may be some here that are coming to you for the very first time. And Lord, the prayer is, is simple. Jesus, please forgive me. 
I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead to give me hope and life and victory. And I embrace that today. God, meet that heart. Cleanse them, forgive them. Fill them with your spirit. Begin to lead them in the newness of life that you've promised. For others, Lord, it's a heart of coming back and saying, Jesus, I've got to recommit my heart to you now. I've strayed. I've gotten off course. I need you in my life. I know that you still have hold of me. And it's time for me to now be pressing to lay hold of you. I need to cooperate in this work that you're doing in my life. I need to yield. I need to surrender. I need to walk with you with all my heart. And that's my prayer today. God, give me the grace to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.